The podcast you're about to hear was recorded in Anchor. To start your own conversation, go to anchor.fm to download the app or find us in the App Store. Maya. Hi, Anchor. This is Maya Prohovnik. I currently work at Betaworks, but before this, I co-founded a company um, called Glitter, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, And I wanted to walk you through something that I think every founder faces at some point, which is doubt. Um, We we worked on Glitter for about six months before we shipped it, shipped the app, um, and then we ran with the app for about three months before deciding to shut it down. Um, And I think while we went through this process, we learned a lot about how to um, how much doubt happens when you're a founder, how to manage it. Um, and, uh, oh, my co-founder Christian is here as well. So he'll be around today to answer your questions too. Um, and he wants everyone to know that he had less doubt than I did about glitter. Maybe that was a bad thing. (laughs) Um, it's also why we worked well together. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get to. Um, so, uh, I think that um, the doubt that I had kind of falls into two broad camps, which um, one is the kind of data and product-driven part of it, and the other half is the the emotional journey um, that founders take when they're trying to start a company. Um, and uh, so I'm going to kind of get into each of those things in a couple ways after this, and um, and yeah, we'll be around all day answering questions, and we'd love to hear your stories of founders doubt or you know how you think about being a founder someday, and we're happy to help however we can. So I think in terms of the more concrete things that gave me some doubt while we were building Glitter, um, there were a couple uh, couple big things that stand out. So one is um, when we first launched Glitter, I don't know anything about marketing. I'm not a marketing person, but I convinced myself that it was important for me to become a marketing expert in order for it to succeed. So I spent you know, basically all my time after we launched trying to figure out how to do paid user acquisition and I was reading a bunch of really boring books about marketing um, and trying to think about growth from that perspective where what I think I should have done and what I wanted to do but felt like it was the wrong thing at the time was to build in organic growth into the product um, and and really focus on making the product great so that it grew on its own and so that people came back on their own. Um, and so that's one thing that I constantly was struggling with. Um, you know, like, do I have to do this how everybody else does it or can I just do what feels right for me? In terms of data, um, we did some things really well. So we were really happy with our onboarding completion, with our initial engagement, with kind of the subjective happiness that people had after using Glitter. Um, and the things that didn't look so good in the data were our, uh, you know, like, day seven and day 30 um, retention and um, and the kind of organic growth that we would have wanted to see. So um, we sort of knew that this was going to happen. Like we launched the beta before we had that viral loop in place that we wanted to have there. Um, and I think, you know, part of me thinks it was worth it because we figured out sooner rather than later that it wasn't working. But part of me still wonders, would it have gone better if we had waited longer to launch and gotten the right tools in place so that it would have grown on its own? And then the last piece of it that you know that was tough and that gave me um, some trouble being a first-time founder was having to manage kind of the emotional part of it, where you know my co-founder and I spent a lot of time 
talking and, you know, comforting each other and trying to reassure ourselves in in each other that we were doing the right thing. Um, And I think even more than that was this sort of sense of responsibility that we felt to make sure that our team didn't share the doubt that we had, um, which I think is a really important thing for, you know, the people running a company to do, but which is really hard when you're realistically probably going to be going back and forth on things and, you know, changing parts of your product or changing your mission entirely um, when you're so early. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna leave it here and turn it over to you guys for questions. I actually have to run to a meeting right now, so I have to cut off this part of it. But i um, happy to hear your questions and, um, and to expand on any of this stuff, and I hope this is helpful. Jesse Neal. So uh, full disclosure, I'm not in the, uh, the startup industry. Uh, I never have been. I have very little knowledge and experience with it. Um, I'm a comedian in New York City, uh, but I was interested in the, uh, the segment of this conversation regarding doubt of your work and your projects uh, because I uh, oftentimes suffer from something that my girlfriend was kind enough to point out to me is imposter syndrome. Uh, basically the idea that you know, when you, when you do something that gains success, when you start to gain momentum, you feel like a fraud. It's only a matter of time before people find out that you're actually just lucky and like, you know, you're not going to be able to recreate this. So I'm wondering, is the startup world similar? Like, have you ever experienced that feeling of, I got something, but am I worthy of it? And will I be able to do it again? And yeah, any, any way you've dealt with that, I'm interested to hear about it. Maya. Hey, Jesse. Um, imposter syndrome is very real in startups, and it's the subject of a lot of uh, medium posts. Um, and I think, particularly um, in startups, it's a thing because startups are so associated with luck, where you can do the exact same thing as somebody else, and one of those companies raises, you know, a hundred million dollars, and one of them goes out of business in a month. Um, so I think that's very real. And I think the best way that I've found for dealing with that. Um, is to be honest. Like that's what works for me is admitting what I don't know and what I need help with. Um, and I think like being a bullshitter who pretends that you know things gets some people ahead, but I just know that I don't want to get ahead that way and that I feel better when I know I'm being honest about what I can do. And that, that seems to help me a little bit because then at least I know I'm only doing the things that I think that I'm good at. Um, I hope that helps and I'd love to hear your stories about what that's like in, uh, in the comedy world. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. This is Christian. Hey, Jesse. Yeah, as Maya pointed out, um, imposter syndrome is definitely a real thing. Um, I try to deal with it by not giving a fuck. And by that, I mean um, working hard at what I'm doing and enjoying it, but also understanding that it very well may fail. And that's okay because it takes uh, a lot of tries to make a hit. Avi Muchnik. Hey Maya, it was really cool to hear the background on Glitter. Um, It looked like an amazing product. Sorry to hear that it didn't work out, Um, but I'm sure that you'll have learned a lot from that experience and take it to the next level with whatever you tackle next. Um, So my question for you is actually uh, something that impacted me a lot as a founder when I was starting Aviary at the very beginning was was having a lot of people who had done it before, um, giving me as much guidance uh, and really kind of just being rocks whenever there was emotional instability, someone that I could just kind of know that I could call up, even if I didn't call them up, but just like having those kinds of mentors on call. Um, How did you go about doing that? Is that like something Betaworks provided for you? Um, What was the guidance you got from other people when things were a little bit shaky? Maya. 
Hi, Avi. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think mentors and people who've done it before are super important. Um, we were definitely lucky enough to have a lot of people at Betaworks who have made companies before and particularly made sort of like fun consumer apps like the one that we were building. So um, they definitely had a lot of helpful advice. Um, and then I think we also, we leaned really heavily also on um, Alex Chung, who's the CEO and founder of Giphy. Um, he's a close friend of both mine and Christian's and he is sort of ridiculously good at this kind of thing. So he gave us a ton of um, both practical advice, like how to, you know, build the product and how to get people on the platform, but also just emotional um, support and telling us that we weren't insane and that everything was going to be okay. And kind of, um, he, he's very brutally honest and, uh, and normal, which was reassuring and refreshing. Hey, this is Mike. Hey, Maya, this is really great information. Thanks so much for answering our questions. You talked a little bit about metrics, but my question is, what about before you have metrics, before you have data? How do you fight off the doubt and stay positive when you really have no idea whether or not people are going to like your product? Uh, is anecdotal feedback from friends and family enough, or do you really need to, to get it out and, and test it in the market uh, to, to fight off that doubt and stay positive about your product? Maya. Hi, Mike. That's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer. I think it depends on the kind of product you're building. Um, for us, we, we tested the app with, I don't know, probably a couple hundred people before we launched. And so we had a pretty good subjective idea that people liked it and that they were using it somewhat reg regularly. Um, I think the thing that's harder to test subjectively is like long-term engagement where people will say, especially if they're your friend, I love this, it's great, you know, go for it. And then in reality, they're using it, you know, once a month when you ask them to. Um, and I think that, you know, lacking that information is why we launched it so early because we wanted to see in real life if it was something that would actually stick. Um, and our hope was that, you know, if it didn't, that we'd be able to figure out how to adjust that. And, and in reality, that was um, harder to do than, than we thought it would be once we shipped. Oh, hi, I didn't see you there. This is Christian. One thing I was really conscious of when we were building Glitter was maintaining this sort of raw enthusiasm and excitement for the product, which I think was really important for morale and keeping everyone believing. Um, on the other hand, we were probably so into ourselves that we weren't taking enough sort of outside feedback and criticism. But in terms of um, keeping everyone a believer, it worked quite well. Hey, this is Nir. So now that you guys are more emotionally attached from the situation because you're not sort of in the thick of it, uh, what what's changed in your perception about the product, about the business, about what it is that you were trying to do? And I know this is a cliched question, but if there was something you could go back in time and tell yourselves back when you were working on Glitter full time, uh, what advice would you give yourself now that you're removed from the situation? Maya. The number one thing that I would do differently is not listen to anybody besides my co-founder. I think we got a lot of different kinds of feedback from different people and we were so caught up in trying to like do the thing that would work for everybody that we weren't focused on what felt right to us, which was, you know, our instincts were what made it a good product and something that people loved in the first place. And I think that once it launched and we started getting feedback, um, we lost that a little bit. And so I think if I if I ever did run a company again, um, I would I would go with my gut, as they say. 
Hey, this is Mike. Maya, when you say anybody, do you mean users? Do you mean investors? Do you mean advisors? Do you mean people in the industry? Uh, or do you mean literally anybody? Um, the reason I ask that is because I know when you worked at Aviary, uh, a big part of your job was listening to user feedback and taking feature requests from users. And I would say that, that you having a relationship with the user base in that way uh, definitely had a lot to do with why the, the product was so popular and so successful. Um, and so I guess what I'm asking is, when is it okay to listen to someone other than your co-founder, and when will it actually benefit the product and the company, and, and not and not just distract and take away from what you believe in your gut? Maya, I think it's super important to listen to your customers. I think the people that I was referring to were like the you know pundits surrounding us, like the people in the tech industry who were like, no, 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 that's not the right business model. Why don't you do it a completely different way and pursue this business model? And so we spent a lot of time um, going down these weird paths that didn't end up being useful to us because they weren't the thing we were trying to build. So I think just, I guess maybe the best advice in about this is like, constantly come back to why you're doing this, what you care about, what your goals are, because that makes it a lot harder to question um, all the decisions you make. And Christian and I spent a lot of time reminding ourselves why we were doing it and what we loved about it. Um, and so, you know, I think we just would have saved a lot of time uh, by sticking to our guns and, and just telling them to stop. <laughs> oh, hi, I didn't see you there. This is Christian. I think we made two big mistakes with Glitter. The first is that we didn't pay enough attention to the landscape, uh, in this case, the App Store, how it's harder to put an app in the App Store nowadays and have it kind of meteorically rise to the top. Um, one, I think because of the volume of uh, apps that are going in, and also uh, I think culturally people aren't uh, as interested in exploring apps the way they used to. The second is um, we didn't do very much planning around um, how we would get this into people's hands and make them excited about it. Um, I think the product we built was great, but we didn't really, all our energy went into building it. And then when it went out, um, we didn't know what to do. Hey, it's Kristen. Hey, Christian, I'm wondering if you could speak to the co-founder relationship in this space of managing expectations and managing doubt when you're launching a product. I've heard it said before from folks uh, looking to invest in companies that they almost never will invest in a company without two founders, without a co-founder team. And I think you could probably debate the reasons why or whether or not that's valid. But when it specifically comes to doubt, what is it like shouldering that as a team? Are you extremely honest with your co-founder? Is that the space where you can say whatever you need to say? And how how is that doubt divided between the two of you in good ways and potentially in not so good ways? Matt Hartman. I'd like to build on Kristen's question and ask whether your doubt was correlated. So when one of you was really feeling uncertain and the other one was the other one feeling very certain, or you both um, feeling uncertain about certain things and certain about other things. In general, did you find that they compounded in a good way or that they kind of offset each other so you're always a bit more positive? 
Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. This is Christian. Hey, Matt and Kristen. I'm going to try to answer both your questions. So Maya and I have very complimentary personalities. When we first met, we really got along easily. And I think that encouraged us to be very naturally open and straightforward with each other. Also, Maya is very open and straightforward in general, which encouraged me to be the same way, which was so, so, so important. There were a lot of times when one of us didn't believe in what we were doing, but the other one did. And there were also times when we both didn't know what we were doing, but we always talked it through and worked it out together. Um, and I think that level of honesty is really important and also it's so important to have someone to kind of build a product with so you're not kind of in a vacuum. I think if I built Glitter by myself it would have been really, really bad and I would have thought it was great. So after having learned the challenges of the App Store with Glitter as well as the genuine, real need of a kind of a plan to get your product into people's hands, John, the CEO of Betaworks, said to me, why don't you build a Poncho app? Poncho has all the ingredients to make a hit right now. And they did. They have a very enthusiastic following over email, just, I mean, fanatical following over email and SMS, as well as some very clever people doing marketing. Uh, so Jordan and I, Jordan was the lead iOS developer at Glitter, got to work on Poncho, uh, while Margo and James, who do marketing at Poncho, worked on a plan to get the app into a lot of people's hands. And it worked. Um, within a few hours of release, Poncho hit number one in the App Store. Ricky! I know I'm getting into the conversation a little bit late here, but having heard the discussion, uh, I had a question that popped to mind, which is, uh, personally, I know I had a little chance to uh, dip my toes into the startup world a couple of years back, and uh, my experience taught me very quickly that at this stage of my life, I wasn't ready to be a number one or number two, let's say, in a company, but you know, probably would be a great number six, and, six seven, or eight. Um, curious for all you that have had the chance of being number ones and twos, threes, whatever you want to call it, um, how much of the doubt that you've had to deal with or manage um, actually comes back from big picture in terms of are you cut out or uh, able to lead a company assuming success comes? Maya. This was definitely a big source of the doubt for me. Um, I don't know about Christian, but um, I spent a lot of time uh, while we were running Glitter sort of going back and forth between convincing myself that I'm terrible at this and should never run a company um, and then trying to be like, no, you know, we can do this. Or once it was over, I did kind of go around being like, you know, never again. That was horrible. It, it was really stressful and hard. Um, and what people kept reassuring me was like, uh, you know, I think you're right, Ricky, that like it can be just a matter of experience or the time of your life. Um, but I also think that your success and comfort as a founder can have can be impacted by what you're building, who's on your team, what the market is like, what your launch is like. Um, like I think there's so many things that can impact that. So for now, I'm enjoying having a regular non-founder job, but in the future, um, I, I have tried not to write off doing it again. So maybe at some point I'll do it again. Hi guys, it's Jen. Hey, Christian and Maya. I love this conversation around doubt, and my question involves a word that I have trouble saying, which is compartmentalization. <laughs> so how do you, when doubting yourself as a founder, prevent that from bleeding into other areas of your life, like doubting yourself as a good partner, friend, or even person? Maybe you were successful at this, maybe you weren't, but I'd love to hear you speak more on the subject of compartmentalizing doubt. Maya. 
Hi, Jen. That's a really good question. Um, for me, it definitely did bleed into other parts of my life. Um, I was uh, pretty like stressed out and miserable outside of work um, just from this sort of sheer, uh, you know, size of it all. Um, but uh, I think that what what we tried to do is like when we were at work, you know, even if we had no idea what we were, do we were, what we were doing, be positive, tell the team that everything was okay and try and work through the problems, you know, kind of one day at a time, one problem at a time. Um, and at home, I tried really hard, or I should say my boyfriend tried really hard um, to make me like take breaks from work and to remember that I have other hobbies, um, which I think is really hard when you're running a company. But um, I think compartmentalization is very important when you're a founder. Um, and I think it probably has has a lot to do with your success, how much you're able to do that. I'm just going to chime in one more time to say thank you so much to everybody who participated and asked questions. Um, it's really, it's always really nice to hear that other people have been through similar things or have similar thoughts. And I think particularly with issues that founders face that people don't always talk about publicly, um, I always love hearing other people's stories. Um, so we're going to sign off for now, but um, thank you. And, we, you know, we're around. If you have any other questions in the future, we're happy to, to talk about it. Um, and you can also always email um, or, you know, tweet at or whatever uh, me and Christian directly. And we're always happy to help if we can. Thanks. You've been listening to Anchor. To join the conversation you just heard, go to anchor.fm to download the app or find us in the app store. Thanks for listening.